सुस्थापकाय चर्मस्वूपिणे अवतार वरिष्ठा रामकृष्णा ते नम वसुदेवसुत कंसचाणुरमर्दनम वंदे जगत गुरुम After a long gap, we are again meeting again. Uh, we are again meeting. Uh, it's because of some unavoidable reasons. We couldn't start it a bit earlier. So, but, uh, but now from now onwards, I think there won't be any interruptions. It's uh, not correct to say there won't be any interruptions. Again, the next two weeks, actually, we won't have class because we have our Guru Maharaj's birthday celebration. On 10th, we have some interfaith music concert uh, that's in the evening but it entails lot of preparations so in the morning the class will remain suspended on 10th and of course on 17th the next Sunday we have Guru Maharaj's birthday celebration in the morning itself there will be puja homa so for that again the class won't be there but of course on 17th in the evening uh, uh, that's both online as well as face to face as the, the way it's convenient for you, you can attend. There will be a talk in the life and teachings of Sri Ramakrishna after the evening Arati. So, and after that, of course, the classes will go on regularly as usual on every Sundays. So as after a long time we are meeting, we will just have a short recapitulation of the slokas, which we studied in the last class, so that it enables us to understand the succeeding slokas because the succeeding slokas are a continuation of the slokas which we have studied in the last class before this break so what are those slokas we were in the fifth chapter the 22nd sloka it speaks of the limitations of the sensate pleasures of life what are its limitations that has been spoken of in the in the 22nd verse of the fifth chapter of Srimad Bhagavad Gita. So what's the sloka? Yehi sangspar shajab hoga dukha yonaya evate adhyanta vanta konteya na teshu ramate buddha. That enjoyment that is born out of the contact with the senses. Sangspar shajab hoga. That the senses coming in contact with the sense objects. So this is sangsparsha, contact. Any pleasure that comes out of it, know it for certain that that has a beginning and that has an end. Adi anta. Yehi sangsparsha yabhoga dukkha yona. It is full of dukkha. Now the word dukkha 
most of us we translate as suffering but the exact translation is not suffering the exact translation is dissatisfaction now you may say both are same that suffering and dissatisfaction are same but it's not same there is a difference between suffering and dissatisfaction now what is suffering and what is dissatisfaction to understand that suppose you are enjoying a delicacy you are enjoying a delicacy and someone ca comes and asks you are you suffering you will say of course no i am enjoying but if someone asks are you satisfied immediately a big question mark will be there in your mind that most probably you have already developed a craving for the second for the second serving you have already developed a craving so though you are enjoying that doesn't that though you are not suffering you are enjoying but that doesn't mean you are satisfied so the if you translate dukkha suffering sometimes the entire philosophy becomes pessimistic it's not the true reflection of what has been spoken of in bhagavad gita or any other scriptures dukkha means dissatisfaction that however we may try to satiate our desires it has been spoken of in our scriptures that the desires fulfilling of the sensed pleasures of life is just like pouring oblations in the fire the more you pour oblations the more it flares up it's never satiated that's why in sanskrit the fire is called anala anala why it is called anala in sanskrit alam is a pratyay is a pratyay which means sufficient enough suppose you are having food you are full and someone comes to and wants to serve you more would you like to have and you with your both hands you just cover your plate said no enough so that is alam enough of it un before that pratyay is used in a sense of negation un alam means never satisfied that's why fire is called anala it's never satisfied the more you pour oblation the more it flares up the same is with the desires that's why desires are like anala like fire it's like havisha krishna vartmeva bhuya eva abhivartate that the desires are never fulfilled the more you try to satiate it the more it gets flared up so why it happens because it has an adi it has an anta but we don't realize that it has a beginning and it has an end adi adyanta vanta kaunte adi anta vanta eva kaunte it has a beginning it has an end but we never realize that's the wonderful way that nature befools us you will find this thing which we have discussed again and again that what's the nature of all the sensed pleasures of life if you try to find out the nature you find this is the same thing which has been spoken of even in the modern psychology that when i am enjoying what are the enjoyments after all in this life if we try to categorize all the enjoyments you will find at last it can be categorized in three major categories which has been spoken of in our scriptures thousands of years back you try to find out any other enjoyments you find no any sensed pleasures any pleasures which has to do with this worldly life can be categorized into these three broad categories what are they this uh, three this happiness which comes from three types of desires what are they putraishana vittaishana yashaishana 
your desire for progeny putreshana vitteshana desire for wealth and yashashana desire for name and fame if you really look at the nature of these three desires what you find that when the desire is fulfilled i go to the climax of happiness but very interesting then very next moment you will find that that happiness is evaporated it doesn't stay why it happens why why the nature has equipped us that way the moment suppose you are enjoying the delicacy which you like most you are satiated you feel extremely happy they say there's a, a release of like a flushing your system with the dopamine that the pleasure hormone and you are in ecstasy but immediately that depletes it doesn't stay why because the nature has planned that way that first we have to sustain ourselves if i am always satiated i won't go for the second meal i will be hungry and that is will be that it will entail in my death so if i am always satiated the nature cannot be sustained so there has to be depletion so there is an ecstasy there is a depletion but very interesting the third point is very important we always remember the ecstasy we forget the depletion every time you will never remember that this when i am about to enjoy something what's the thing which comes to my mind oh it is going to give me tremendous pleasure but do i remember that very next moment it will be gone i never remember it's always the experience in our life you will find it's always the experience but we never remember the depletion that's why the past is always the past is always golden why because our memory is very selective it always remembers the good things tries to hide the bad things as much as possible so unless something very very uh, uh, let's say uh, traumatic has happened in your life in general if the life is not extremely traumatic in general it is just a mixture of pain and pleasure you will find the past always seems to be golden because our memory filters out all the thus experiences of suffering it keeps only the experience of the climaxes and the fourth is very interesting whenever we are anticipating that we are planning to the morning we are planning that to the evening we will go to the a restaurant and we will have a family this as a whole the family will go and have a nice meal we will enjoy there from the morning you are excited when you are anticipating but by the time you are already in the restaurant you will find the pleasure has gone you are feeling just normal that happiness is gone you know why because the nature's work has been done while you are anticipating the nature has given you that again that climax the extreme dopamine secretion why it has to motivate you to do the thing but once you have started doing the thing what's the need for giving the pleasure so that's why the dopamine has already fallen flat so you will see what has been spoken of in the scriptures that's the same thing there is no as such continuation with the pleasure the nature has devised pleasure in such a way that it is just is using it as a tool to make us do something by which it is sustained it is a tool that so called the sensed pleasures of life the happiness which we get from the sensed pleasures of life is a tool of the nature by which it is befooling us 
it is making us do something by which it is sustained but at the same time we will find if we really see at the nature of this sense of pleasures it can never give you happiness so there's a famous song of this in a rolling stone in this i can get no satisfaction i try and try and try again so this uh, so these songs are there suppose when they are writing this song most probably they don't know that they are speaking of this buddhist philosophy they are speaking of this dukkha as the first arya satya of life the buddha when he came out from his realization and spoke of the four arya satya the what is the first that there is dukkha dissatisfaction that we are as if even in the moderns like psycho, language of psychology we are in a hedonistic treadmill in the treadmill when you are running you go nowhere you are running in the same place you are running but you are running in the same place so all our sensed pleasures chase after the sensed pleasure is just like running on a treadmill and it is hedonistic hellish it gives you no satisfaction in the words of swami vivekananda ever running never reaching nor a distant glimpse of shore so this is the thing which the scripture again and again is pointing out that the entire world is in the mad chase of the happiness but they forget that they think it is there with their own choice they are running after happiness but they forget but that the nature has made them the tool has made happiness the tool to make us do something by which it is sustained and we are constantly befooled that swami vivekananda is that wonderful example that when in the olden days you know they has to grind the oil how they has to grind the oil they will put oil seeds over a stone and over that another stone will be revolving in the process the seeds which are between the two stones gets grinded now how to make that stone revolve the top stone. so they will tie it with a bullock and on the head of the bullock they will tie a stick and in front of the stick they will hang some straw and this bullock is constantly trying to get that straw it is moving forward but as it is tied with a stick the straw is also moving and that's how the stone goes on revolving and the oil is just extracted from the seeds oil is grinded so swami ji is saying that's our condition we think ourselves all intelligent but mother nature has made us that bullock and he has kept the straw all the sense of pleasure so that straw hanging in front of us and we are going round and round in the process of transmigration again and again in the process of life we are born we think all the sense of pleasures of life that is going to give me ultimate happiness we get everything so many people come the middle aged people that suddenly i have everything but i don't know why i am not feeling okay i'm not feeling something i'm missing do you find that no that the life has no meaning that i have got what i have got but it is not giving me happiness and then gradually with this dissatisfaction you will find the life is going to end the nature gives us everything at certain point of time and starts taking away everything at certain point of time with all your wealth what will you do once you start getting old and you find your senses are getting weak that's the paradox of life when i am young i have no money i think of the pleasures of life as the highest enjoyment for that i need money and when i'm already having the money i'm old and i'm finding that 
I don't have the capacity to enjoy and then jara vyadhi mrittu. This is the fact of life that with old age my body will start decaying, I will start get disease, vyadhi and death is waiting for me. This is a waste of energy, waste of time. Swamiji told that's why that how many lives you have wasted, why not give one life for me? That all these ideals when we speak of people don't get attracted. So Swamiji is saying very nicely, how many lives have wasted, just wasted. Just, just think of the value of these words which I am speaking. Try to give, Achai, you have already wasted. You think that these are of no use? This life will be waste if I just try to follow these sublime teachings. It will be a waste. You have already wasted. Why not waste one more life? Just give it a try. So that's what Bhagavad Gita is also saying. The same thing. That we are going around this process of transmigration, wasting the life, you know, search for the sunset pleasures of life, thinking, thinking them to be the be all and end all of our existence. And that's the thing, that's the limitation of the sunset pleasures, which has been spoken of in the 22nd verse. So what's the way out? So now the scriptures will speak of the spiritual sadhana practice. It has two main grades, two main steps. In Bhagavad Gita, they will speak of Abhyasa and Vairagya. Abhyasa and Vairagya. First comes the Vairagya. That when your mind is already is running after the sunset presence of life, because of your opinion, because of your conviction, that's the thing which is going to give me the ultimate joy in life. So I was running after it. Not only this life, maybe for lives together. And that has become my nature. I find that my mind is full of desires. I cannot keep myself quiet. The mind is like the monkey mind, always chasing after so many things, distractions. Now the scripture says a very interesting thing. That the, all the disturbed thing which you are seeing in the mind is not your entire mind. There are so many things which are hidden. The mind has vasanas. And these vasanas are of two types. The things which are disturbing you, that is the vyakta vasana. And there are so many desires which are avyakta, is not manifested. That again is the plan of nature. If everything was manifested, we would have gone mad. That's why we don't remember our past lives. We don't remember. Because already in the present mind, there is so much to deal with. It's such a big burden. And if we remember the past, it's impossible to live a normal life. Vyakta vasana, avyakta. Many are hidden. So first, unless I take care of the vyakta vasana, the, all the desires which are manifested, I cannot think of abhyasa, this practice of meditation. So first I have to take care of the desires which are really disturbing me. I have started realizing that certain desires have become obsession. This is again a limitation of the mind. What happens? That today out of necessity what I do, out of necessity I am doing today. Tomorrow it becomes an obsession. Because in the mind, whatever in the mind, what is happening that anything which you repeat again and again, it creates a path in the mind. And once the path is created, the mind likes to do it. It forgets the necessity. It forgets the necessity. 
That example which we give, a small child is not drinking milk, the mother adds little sugar, it immediately starts drinking. Why? We say that liking for sweetness is something innate. It is in our genes. The nature scientist will say how it has become something innate. How it has become? Those who study the way evolution has happened. They say most probably our predecessors, our ancestors, who were food gatherers, who, were, who haven't yet invented agriculture. So they every day used to go to the forest to collect food. And they found that anything in nature, if it is sweet, it is never poison. If it is sour, there is a doubt. It may be poison, it may not be poison. If it is bitter, it may be poison, it may not be poison. But in nature, if anything is sweet, whether it is sweet roots, sweet herb, sweet fruits, whatever it may be, it nourishes us, it never kills us. So out of necessity, most probably they had no taste for it. Out of necessity, they were in search of sweet roots, sweet herbs, sweet fruits. And in the process, what has happened? By repeating the same thing again and again. As we were saying, that out of necessity, what you repeat, the neuroplasticity of the mind, what it does, it starts wiring. A mind creates path. It gets wired. And then what happens? You forget the necessity. You get obsessed by it. The same thing happened with all the pleasures. So that the sweet, the, the search for sweet is something which was necessity, but now it has become obsession. In the present world, you go to the market uh, and for shopping, any food you buy, you will find the sugar content is very high. Why they do it? They know it very well, it will sell. We have an innate likeness for the sweetness. We like the sweet things, we crave for it. But now what has happened? The necessity after it has become obsession, it has become a lifestyle problem. See, our obesity, your blood pressure, blood sugar, everything is related to that. So when the necessity becomes an obsession, it becomes an evil. If you open the Gospel of Sri Ramakrishna, you will find again and again the same line he is repeating. Kamini Kanchan Maya. That lust and gold is Maya. Maya, what, what Maya means? Maya. That Ya means Yathayatha. To see the thing as it is. Ma is again a negation. So we never see the thing as it is. We think I am seeing the thing as it is, but I am not seeing the thing as it is. That this sunset pleasures of life is going to give me happiness. It is Maya. Kamini Kanchan is Maya. The pleasures which you are going to get from lust and gold is Maya. Why? The same thing. See, without lust, you cannot think of sustaining life. It has to continue. Without gold, without wealth, I cannot think of sustaining myself. What to think of propagation? First, I have to sustain myself. Both are impossible. So they are necessity. The basic necessity from bacteria to human beings. Both cannot stay without food, without procreation. That's how the nature is sustained, from bacteria to human being. But this necessity, as it has been pursued so many innumerable times, we don't know how many times, it has been converted into an obsession. You open a newspaper or you just open a news channel, you go to the, uh, your internet to search any news, you will find that at last you just look at any news of any crime. Can you find any crime which doesn't fall in these two categories, Kamini and Kanchan? Yet at last it boils down to these two, lust and gold. That's what Sri Ramakrishna is saying. The necessity has become an obsession. And that's the condition of the mind. That I find 
the thing which I thought as a necessity, I was pursuing it and now I cannot get rid of it. It almost is, forces me to do certain things. So what's the way out? What's the way out? So now the Vyakta Vasana, how it has to be taken care of? Just the way I go to the gym to strengthen my muscles, the same way the willpower has to be increased. It can be done. How the willpower can be increased? So that's the thing is being asserted in the Bhagavad Gita in the 23rd. Let us read and then we will go to the discussion. Shaknati ihaiva yasur Prak sharira vimokshanat Kama krodhat bhavang vevang Sahyukta sasukhinara Get what he is saying? Shaknoti, the one who succeed, ihaiva, in this life, yeah, sorung, can succeed, can uh, really uh, succeed in what? Prakshadira vimokshana, before the falling off of the body, he can succeed in this life. What? Kama, krodha, udbhavang, vegam. The impulse, the vega, the impulse that arises from the lust and when the lust is not fulfilled, for, from the karma, from the desire, not only simply lust, any desire. Karma is not just lust, any desire, karma. When the desire is not fulfilled, what happens? Krodha, anger comes. I go to the shopping mall, I want to buy something. I feel that I fall in love with it. Oh, this is the thing, this is the thing I want to buy. But I find that someone else is objecting to it. No. What will happen? Krodha. Immediately the anger will come. I want it. So whenever the desire is obstructed, it results in anger, rage. The one who can have a control over this too, he is only yukta. He only can think of keeping his mind, yukta means in union, keeping his mind united to the desired goal. Otherwise he is bound to be distracted. Constantly this Kama and Krodha, this desire and anger, rage, this will disturb him. Unless I have the capacity to keep the reins of my mind in my hand and over control. And he alone can be Sukhi. His mind Sukhi means he is always at calm, peace with himself. So now the question is how to do that? Now with the express desire, there are many desires as we told, which are avyakta. What are avyakta? We just to give an example, a funny example. We say that we have innumerable lives, isn't it? Transmigration. Most probably we were some grazing animals in some past life. We like the green grass as our food. Now if it is true that whatever desires you have in your mind, that should be reflected. That should, Whenever I see the thing, it comes back. The desire is hidden as samskara. I see the thing. Suppose I ate a donut. I forgot about it. I liked it very much and then I forgot. And then suddenly I see it again. Now seeing that the memory will come back. Now if it is true that as a grazing animal most probably we were in the past bath. Uh, we like the grass. Now in the present bath, birth when I see the green grass I am supposed to salivate. That liking is there. So very nicely in the Yoga Sutra has been mentioned that only those desires which are appropriate to this birth, they will manifest. Others won't manifest. It is there. It is not that it has gone. It is there. It is hidden. Even in this life it happens. As a student, 
as a school student most probably i'm good in all the subjects also i am quite interested in some extracurricular activities like music singing music just let us just take for uh, uh, an example i like singing i like some instrumental music and then i get admitted in some professional course now when i am in the university the pressure of that education there the academic studies there make me forget of my extracurricular activities the liking for it is there but it gets hidden for the time being now i study and then i start my work in my profession and in the beginning i find that the life takes so much of time out of me i can never even think of again uh, resorting to my extracurricular activities that i had in my childhood but again when the laser comes with the advancement of your life when you are quite subtle the laser comes the memory of it comes back again it comes back so same thing happens there are so many vasanas we are vyakta and there are many avyakta vasanas like as we told that uh, that the liking for the green grass i don't feel because as a human birth it is not something appropriate so it is hidden but it is there if again i have to take birth as a grazing animal as per the theory of transmigration again that liking will come back so if i take care of the only vyakta vasana only the de desires which are manifested what about those unmanifested they are still there to keep me bound sri ramakrishna used to give a wonderful example suppose even in the old in the olden days when the, in calcutta the howrah bridge was not yet built in the time of ramakrishna but there used to be some bridges made of boat law many boats the they were just anchored uh, from the bank with many ropes and innumerable such boats used to connect both the banks of the ganges over which people could pass it was just the boats such a uh, bridge was there before the howrah bridge was built and ramakrishna seeing that bridge he is the master of examples seeing that he what he told is very interesting that if you cut even one of the ropes nothing is going to happen to the bridge because there are so many other innumerable ropes which keep the bridge intact so that's the condition with us our psyche most probably with lot of effort i can get rid of one desire but what about the innumerable desires which i have acquired through many birds some are manifested some are not manifested they will keep me bound in this limited individuality how to get rid of it in two slokas bhagwan is giving that idea of the entire sadhana first we have to take care of the vyakta vasana which is manifested why because unless we take care of the vyakta vasana the vasanas which have manifested i can never calm down my mind i have to calm down my mind so how to do it so as we were saying it is the same process thus the way we build our muscles we can build our will power how the same process when you go to the gym to build your muscles what you are doing actually you are working against the weight when you are working against the bent weight we have an idea that my muscle is built no it is just the opposite you are damaging your muscle cells by constantly working against the weight your muscles gets uh, stressed and you are damaging they are being few muscles get injured they die it's not building but when you come back from the gym when you are resting then what happens now the cells the muscle cells starts regrowing the cells which have died the other cells starts regrowing too 
again that uh, heal the injury which has happened. Now, when, when they're regrowing, the brain cells, the brain, uh, the cells have their own brain. There's an instruction. It's instructed that when they're growing, that don't grow the exact number of cells which has been damaged. Grow more, because nowadays, nowadays, this part is exerted. It is exerted more and more. So if you grow exactly the same number of cells, it cannot sustain. So again, because of that tremendous stress, it will again rupture. So you have to grow more, grow more. So it is actually from the feedback mechanism. The muscle grows, not from the act itself. When you are growing, uh, just building, uh, trying to build your muscles, you think that against the weight I am working and that weight grows. No, it's actually damaging the muscle. The body gives you the feedback from that the muscle grows. Same, the same process, with the same process, we can increase our willpower, which is something very much required. In the present academic education, in the name of freedom, we have started defining freedom as the freedom of the senses. We forgot that the real freedom is freedom from the senses. Freedom of the senses is a slavery. It is never freedom. The senses make you behave the way it wants. Not freedom of the senses. Freedom from the senses is the real freedom. How to attain? At the beginning, we have to think of developing willpower. It can be done. How? The same way you build your muscle. The same way. From the feedback mechanism. Just take those who do fasting. From morning till evening. For the first time you are doing fasting. Most probably in the family you have seen that many are doing fasting on particular days. So you also feel, why not me? Let me try. And the first time when you are doing fasting you will find by the lunch time you are terribly hungry. And now as you have already committed yourself to that fasting so now you think oh if i break my fast others will just make fun of me oh see see at last he took resolution he couldn't keep or she couldn't keep so you force yourself to a certain extent well, let me try you'll find a wonderful thing those who are those who do fasting they know that the tremendous craving comes and if you are not yielding to it after some time that craving has gone by the evening you find the craving has gone why this hunger is also a biological alarm. It is an alarm system in the form of pain. The body is saying you, it's the time for taking food. You have to take, you have to take. And if you don't yield, the alarm system starts falling off. It gets tired. It starts falling off. And then it relieves you. At the beginning, you thought I will have to fight with this craving most probably till I break my fast. No, you don't have to fight. If I had to fight, then there was no need for fasting. Why the people fast? That at night when I'm in the Shivaratri, when I'm doing puja, by that time there won't be any craving. My body will be light. My mind will be concentrated. It will help me in really meditating and doing the worship. So what has happened? The craving has gone off for the time being. How it has happened? Again, that feedback mechanism. If you don't, if you don't yield to it immediately, if you have that patience, after some time, it starts falling off. And then what happens? It's not that it can happen infinitely, but you can delay it. You can delay your gratifications. And the more the capacity you have in delaying your gratifications, the more integrated you are in life. Because it gives you the scope to enjoy the peacefulness that arises from the calmness which ensues from that delaying of the gratification. 
In the present world, there are so many experiments. This marshmallow experiment, the famous, it speaks of that. That even if you may be high, having a high IQ, this uh, your intelligence, but you don't have the capacity to delay your gratifications, you cannot really excel in life. Ex ex excel in life. Because when if you are just going for immediate gratifications, you are just going for the short-term pleasures. Your mind becomes myopic. You don't see the long-term gains which are waiting for you. Immediately, just uh, just crumble for the short-term pleasures. You just get yielded, yield by it. You are becoming myopic. So those who have the capacity to see the long-term gains waiting for me, and that way, somehow uh, ignore the short, this uh, the immediate impulses. They have the more chance to succeed in life. And once that the biological alarm system has fallen and your mind is calm, then you can really be focused. And that's been spoken of here. Sayukta. Sayukta. He is now focused. He can get united with the desired goal. And he's sukhi. He enjoys the placidness. So that's the way we can take care of the immediate manifested desires in our life to a certain extent. And it is needed. What to speak of spiritual journey, even in our day-to-day -day life, unless we have the capacity to delay our gratification, know it for certain, with all our intelligence, we can never integrate our life. Our life will be totally disintegrated. So it is not the intelligence. It is the capacity to delay our gratification which speaks of our progress, whether in this secular life or in the spiritual life. That how much capacity I have to delay my gratification. The famous marshmallow experiment, you know that you, many of you have heard of it. That it is an experiment on the children. It's a, a very famous experiment. That the children are given some marshmallow. It's individually, they will meet each of, each, uh, each of the child, not in a group. They will give some marshmallow and when the child is about to have the marshmallow, they say, wait, I will be going out for some work and I will come back maybe in 10 minutes. By 10 minutes, if I, when I come back, if I find that the marshmallow is still in the plate, you have not taken it, I will give you the second marshmallow. Do you want the second, another one? All the children say, yes. But invariably it has been found and there is a camera, a surveillance camera to see what the children are doing. Most of the children fall prey. Though they have the intent for having the second marshmallow, they cannot wait for the 10 minutes. Only a few could somehow resist. The experiment doesn't end here. They kept track of all those children on which this experiment was conducted. And after 10 years, 15 years, they found that it is not those children who have high intelligence, but those children who had that capacity, very few of them had that capacity, to delay their gratification, they have really excelled in life. For the simple reason, because they have the capacity to look at the long-term games, the two marshmallows waiting for me, if I can wait for 10 minutes. They have the capacity to look at the long-term games and ignore the short-term games. So unless we can do that, we can never be sukhi. We can never be happy in life. However, for most of us, the chase for the pleasure is like just a rabbit. When the rabbit, you know, when this, it is being chased by its predator, at last what it does, when it finds it cannot in any way run away from the predator, the predator is going to capture it, 
the rabbit will somehow dug a hole in the soil and hide its face there. Hide its face there and it thinks it is safe. It is safe. Why it is safe? No, it's because it cannot see. It has dug a hole in the ground and it has hidden its face. Its entire body is visible. But as it cannot see the predator, it thinks it is safe. Most of us, for us, the chase for the pleasures of life is just like digging a hole and getting that, just enjoying the immediate pleasures of life, thinking ourselves safe. We don't feel that it is this uh, temporary happiness in which we are so involved is going to kill us. Is the predator in the safe sense of competition is just chasing us. It is going to kill us. We don't realize. So that's the thing Bhagavan is saying. If you have to be integrated, if you have to be sukhi, yukta, first take care of all the manifested pleasures of life. That's the basic, that to a certain extent renunciation is required. Without renunciation, there cannot be any progress in life. Now this word renunciation, we have a taboo nowadays. Even not now, even 100 years back, when Swami Vivekananda was delivering lecture in the West, Suddenly he was, ex he was just uh, praising renunciation, extolling renunciation. And suddenly someone from the audience stood up and told Swamiji, 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 it seems you are from the medieval ages. In a country like America, uh, you are speaking of renunciation. We believe in freedom, this renunciation, whatever you feel like you do. And being interrupted in, in the middle, middle of the lecture, Swamiji now started pacing up and down the dais. He was a bit distracted. Naturally, someone interrupted him. And then Swamiji, off quote, as if he is not speaking in his lecture, he went near that person who interrupted him. And what he told is something very interesting. Prattle, babes prattle. Yours is just 200 years civilization. Have a civilization as old as ours then you will understand the true significance of renunciation. Prattle, this prattle is very interesting. Prattle, prattling is what? That uh, you all have experienced. That the, the child, the children from the school has come, they want to go out, and the mother asks, where are you going? And then there's a fight. Mother's, mother wants that the child need not be so much outgoing and starts explaining in her own way and the child has no patience to hear that. The child immediately starts retorting back by saying, oh, you're outdated. The way you used to have in the days you have to have in your childhood, now it is totally different. You know, don't please try to relate your ways of life with us. That's all outdated, just as these people told Swamiji. So they put the eyes as if you're from the medieval age. The same thing you will find each and every home it is happening. The child gives a lecture to the mother. At last the mother finds it's almost impossible to explain the child. And what the mother says is almost similar to the Swamiji's words. Prattle, babbling, speaking something which has no meaning. Prattle, babes, prattle. Yours is just 200, you are very, very young. Ours is very old civilization. We have learned through experience. So yours is just 200 years civilization. Have a civilization as old as ours. Then you will understand the true purport of renunciation. Very interesting. After the passing away of Swamiji, it's just 100 years. Uh, Swamiji told that when you have as old as ours, it's not, there's no need for to have as old as that old 
perennial civilizations. Just 100 years. When I was in India, I saw a movie. When I was in India, I watched a movie in IIT Kharagpur. When I was, I was in Medinipur, it was very near. The name of the movie is Two Million Minutes. Two Million Minutes. What's the movie? It's a movie produced by the American government. It's a movie. It's a, if you calculate uh, this, if you convert two million minutes into years, it becomes almost four years. Almost four years. Not exactly. It's four years, two million minutes. So it's a movie about four years. Four years of a student. The student who is in the ninth year, after four years, who is going to be in the twelfth year. So it's a movie about them. The, who is producing the American government has produced. Why? To create awareness among the American students. A short movie. It was uh, supposed to be shown in all the schools in America. To create awareness among the students, uh, school students who are in the ninth standard, in the ninth year. What's this? The movie starts like this, very interesting. That someone is interviewing the ninth year student. The first student is an American student. They go and ask him that what's your aim in life? He says to be, get admitted in MIT, Massachusetts Institute of Technology. Very good. Then the same question is asked to an Indian student. What's your aim? To get admitted in IIT, the Indian Institute of Technology, the most reputed technical, technical institute in India. Very good. The Chinese is the third student of the ninth year. For him also the same question, and he says in Beijing, the most reputed Engineering College of China, there I want to get admitted. Now they start showing their life. The American student goes to school, comes back from school. His education is just going to school and coming back. Now he ninth mean in the ninth year means he's already a teenager. He's free. No one can just direct him what to do and what not to do. So he's quite free, he's happy. He's already socializing, partying, and all the things they are doing, and he is very happy. When they show the Indian student, they find the picture is totally different. The mother is the tiger mother, waiting there always with full vigilance, observing the child. The child, after school, do spend some time with the friends, but he has to come back at a certain time, sit for his studies, and when exam is near, even the food comes to the study table, so that he did not waste his time by going to the dining table and just be with other family members. So very restricted his life full of surveillance, full of discipline. The Chinese student is almost similar to that Indian student, even more. The mother is the tiger mother. Now the third scene is very interesting. Four years over, two million minutes over. Now the interviewer goes to the Indian student and asks, have you reached the goal? He says, yes, almost. I didn't get chance in the IIT where I was willing, but I got a chance in a very reputed technological institute and I'm happy. The Chinese student is also happy. He has also succeeded. And then they show the American student's life. It seems he's very happy. He's continuing with his old way of life, partying, socializing, and everything. And this interviewer thinks most probably he has also succeeded in getting the goal and then ask, are you happy? Yes, I'm of course happy. But, but four years back, two million minutes back, you spoke of certain goal you wanted to achieve. Did you achieve? Well, no. No way I could get into that college. I'm st still pursuing my studies, but I couldn't get chance in MIT. But I'm happy the way I'm living because I'm having freedom to enjoy the life the way I want. 
now there's a big question mark in the screen it's the american government which is now asking the question see we have all these multinational or institutions it is we who own but just see the ceos it's all coming from the asian countries the india the china they're there and they're asking the american government is asking the question will you be happy you're happy i know but will you be happy the way you're leading your life just see we own these companies but where are we are we going there no so that's the basic idea behind the entire story that sh should should you be satisfied with what you are doing so what's the idea again this idea of renunciation comes here now that to certain extent if i do not have the capacity to delay my gratification and develop that focus develop that placidity of mind i can never succeed in life so that's the idea which has been spoken of in the 23rd slok shaknoti ihaiva yasurum it can be done don't think that it cannot be done there are lots of books lots of magazines which are constantly saying that to restrain the free impulses is damaging for your psyche yes it is damaging for your psyche if you are just simply doing it without purpose but if there is a purpose of life it is something which is going to build you are going to build your life on it when out of the pressure of the society i just simply try to suppress my desires it is going to really affect my psyche but when there is a goal that these are the goals i have to achieve know it for certain this becomes the building factors of our life and that's the thing which has been spoken again in the modern psychology speaking they have started realizing the trend was there 10 years 20 years back that freedom means freedom of the senses but now they have started speaking that unless you have the capacity to delay your gratification you cannot progress in life and that speaks of the same thing shaknoti haivayasoru prakshareera vimokshanat kama krodha udbhavang vegam sahyukta sasukhinara so now i have taken care of this so called the vyakta vasana the desires which have manifested and which have started disturbing me it's not that that i sh that it is something uh, uh sinful or something not desire that i shouldn't enjoy the pleasures of life we have to we can but unless we are the one who decide we will find it is our mind which is pulling us let me decide that how much is needed how much is not needed unless i have that capacity know it for certain we are just as good as an addict as a drug addict we are just being carried everywhere deserts we have no capacity to have control over them and then there cannot be any integration in life there cannot be any peace in life so that's the thing which has been spoken of in the 23rd now the 24th verse speaks of abhyasa once you have calmed down your mind by taking care of the desires which have manifested you have calmed down your mind but that doesn't entail as per the spiritual evolution is concerned that doesn't entail our spiritual liberation because there are so many other desires that again will manifest when they get favorable circumstances as i progressed through my love life's journey i take i took care of certain desires i thought wow i am at peace with myself you will find that again 
some new desires are bubbling up. They get favorable circumstances and they come from your psyche, from your subconscious mind and they start agitating. Now one by one, if I try to have control over all the desires, it's impossible, they're innumerable. Then what's the way out? So that's the spiritual practice, the abhyasa, which has been spoken of in the 24th verse. What it is saying? Yo anta sukha, anta arama, yo anta jati revacha. Sa yogi brahma nirvanam brahma bhuto adhigachati. Yo antasukha. Who has developed the capacity to dive within, to find happiness within. Yo antasukha. Within. Anta arama. Antara arama. Arama. This happiness, the bliss, which comes from dwelling within, within your own self. Antararama. These are the words sometimes we feel has no meaning in the present world. In the present world we forget that you know in Sanskrit well-being was uh, the term for well-being is swastha. Swastha. In Bengali we say shastha. It is as good as it is the same. It came from swastha. The word swastha is we mean the disease-free stress is where if you are not diseased you are swastha. But really is it that uh, the word's meaning, that not to have disease swastha? No. The word swastha has a very, in a Sanskrit, the words are very meaningful. There's a philosophy behind the word. Swastha means swa me sthita, the one who resides in himself. Swa sthita, swastha. Unless you can reside within yourself, you can never be swastha. You're bound to be diseased. Swastha, you, at the present, you will find one of the biggest cause of our this uh, the psychological issues, even in the children, is this the mobile constantly scrolling down, scrolling down, constantly busy with that, distracted. What is happening? You are never swasthita. You are never residing in yourself. Your mind is constantly being dragged by that. It has been developed. You and there is no one who doesn't take a resolution that when I have the I'm just going to some the social media or when I'm having this mobile in my hand, I think for five minutes I'm going to do. And bound, you're bound to find that when at last you have left it half an hour, one hour, maybe two hours has gone. You took the resolution of five minutes because we forget that those who are devising, they are called attention engineers. They are this, that they have studied the human psychology very well. And they know how to manipulate it very well. These attention scientists behind all these multi these social media nowadays, there are scientists who know how to play with the human psyche. They're using it. I, with my that limited capacity of my mind, I think I will enter and I will come out. It's impossible. Once you enter, you are gone. Two hours, three hours. And they have found out, it's a research, we can go in the discussion for it for hours together. The research shows that it is one of the major reasons for all the psychological issues in the present day. Feeling isolated, feeling lonely. You're constantly engaged, but you feel lonely. Because you're constantly being dragged by these distractions. You are never swastha. You are never residing within yourself. You don't have the time to process your own emotions, to process all the facts of life, that what is important in life, you don't have time. 
You cannot process your emotions also. You cannot process your feelings. Everything is being taken everywhere. You are drained out. So that's the thing which Bhagavan is saying. Antararama. Yeah, unless you develop this capacity to leave all those things alone and just to be with yourself. Just to be with yourself. So we have forgotten that faculty. Totally we have forgotten. Just to be with myself. So this yeah, anta sukha, anta rarama, anta jyoti revacha. When I open, I think when I close my eyes, everything is dark. But we can develop that faculty. That by closing the eyes, you can see light. You can. It is not that all the mystics are just full or some cranks. They do have delved deep within their psyche to do to really find the illumination that comes from within. So anta jyoti. We will speak of it gradually. Sahyogi Brahma Nirvanam. Brahma Bhuto Digachat. It not only just gives us some integrity in this life, it attain it. This practice can take you to that nirvana. Nirvana. Nirvana means extinction. Extinction of what? People get very much afraid of that idea. Oh, my individuality is extinguished. No. Nirvana of all the desires. By being and attune with the Brahma, the real nature of your, the core of your existence. By attaining that uh, the identity with the core of your uh, existence, Brahma Nirvana. So, Bhuto Dhikachati, you transcend. Adhikacha means to transcend all the limitations of life. So, in short, it's now it's almost time. So, this last class we studied till this 24th. So before going to the next two slokas, just wanted to have a preliminary discussion. So this is the idea that what is the effect of this practice will be spoken of in the 25th and 26th, but what's the actual practice here spoken of? So when you are diving within, you know that all the innumerable desires which we are speaking of, some are vyakta manifested, some are avyakta unmanifested, but they all are hooked to the ego, the sense that I am a limited individual. The moment that idea comes, I am a limited individual. With that, all the desires are hooked up. When I say, I want to enjoy this delicacy, who wants? I, this limited I. I want this, I don't want that. All the desires are hooked to this idea of limited individuality. The spiritual practice actually speaks of this transcending this idea of limited individuality. They are saying, that in essence, you are the Atman who is beyond all needs, beyond all wants and needs. You are always satisfied. The conscious principle who is witnessing everything. Get more and more attuned to that. The more you constantly contemplate on the fact that you are not the body, not the mind, not the senses, you are Atman. You are hammering at the idea of this ego, the limited individuality. As very nice, we again and again say the same thing. Sri Ramakrishna, when someone is to ask Sri Ramakrishna, when shall I be free? Ami mukto habo kabe. Sri Ramakrishna's answer was wonderful. Ami jabe jabe. When shall I be free? Sri Ramakrishna's answer is, when I cease to be. This idea of limited individuality. So here, by diving within, when you are trying to relate to that 
essence of your existence which is beyond all wants, beyond all needs. You are hammering constantly at the idea of the ego. So what happens at last when you, can, you succeed in hammering out the idea of this limited individuality, then there is no need to get rid of all the desires one by one. You can never do that. It's innumerable. You cannot do that. But if you take care of this, if you get rid of the I, all the desires fall off once for all at a time. So our I is just like the hub of a will. The sense of limited will is like the hub of the will. And all the innumerable desires are like the spikes. Now if you break one of the spikes of the will, the will is still intact. It's still intact. But if the hub is taken out, the entire will collapses, isn't it? So the second practice, after you have calmed down your mind by taking care of the manifested desires, now contemplate on the real nature. This will help you to get rid of that hub and all the desires falls off together, giving you that transcendence beyond all the desires, the Brahman Nirvana. You transcend and that takes you to that highest state of spiritual illumination. So just by relating this idea that so many times we have told, to relate these ideas with Guru Maharaj's word is very important. Then you will find the gospel that Swamiji used to say that the gospel of Sri Ramakrishna The words of Ramakrishna has even transcended the words of Vedanta. So very nicely Sri Ramakrishna speaks of this supreme renunciation where the ego has been taken care of, ego has fallen off. Very funny story. With that we will end the class today. What he's saying? With the help of a a parable. He is explaining this idea that you cannot get rid of the desires one by one. It's impossible. They all have to fall once at a time, at one time. So what's that very funny parable he's saying? That a man in a village, a village is just a, he was about to go to have a deep in the village pond. He was about to go out. And then suddenly his wife called out and told, oh you are extremely attached. Just see and then this man asked, what have you seen in me that you say I am extremely attached? Well, just see how the neighbor, the such and such person, he has developed renunciation. Well, how come? Now he has 12 wives and he is renouncing them one by one. <laughs> and then this man told, oh you are full. Can anyone renounce one by one? Do you want to see what renunciation is? Now this man was going to have a dip in the village pond. See he was just wearing one loincloth. As a, one towel as a loincloth and another towel was just on the shoulder, nothing else. He told, I am now living. And no one could find him where he went. So, the moment that idea of renunciation came, once for all, he left. So, he never came to pack his belongings or just to have, have his, what you say, this credit card or debit card and then, no, nothing. Nothing he planned, just simply left off. So when renunciation comes, it happens once at a time, not one by one. That's one wonderful story. So when we read in the gospel, sometimes we find no meaning of it. Let's just see how nicely that one by one, the desires we have to take care of so that we can contemplate to a certain extent, we develop that calmness. Otherwise, my mind is always disturbed. I develop calmness. With that, now I practice. First vairagya, then abhyasa. I practice. Constantly try to contemplate on the real this infinite nature of my existence and that negates the idea of my limitation that our limited individuality and then the hub is gone that 
all the desires, which are like the spikes, they fall off once at a time to help me get rid of this idea of this limited individuality. The more the I is concrete, know it for certain, the desires are going to disturb you more and more. You need not have to go to the media, television, nothing. If you spend uh, two hours, three hours in front of the mirror, know it for certain, your desires will be very strong because you are just simply concentrating on your I, 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 this limited I. Just stand in front of the mirror too long, you will find all the desires are going to disturb you very much. So this more we get rid of this I, the more, the more we will find all desires, Vyakta, Vyakta, all falling off together to give me the ultimate liberation. So after saying that, what's the effect that results out of it? That what I'm going to gain out of it? Unless there's an utility, even you cannot uh, motivate a fool to do something. So there has to be some utility. That utility will be spoken of in the 25th and in the 26th verse, which we will take again in the next class. So with this, we stop our discussion today. Thank you all. Namaskar.